Welcome everyone to Science Society and of course a special welcome to you Molly and before we start let me give the audience a short introduction about you and then uh, we'll also ask a few interview questions uh, before we dive into your um, research. So uh, Molly Borgmar she is at the Institute of Cosmology and Gravitation at the University of Portsmouth. I hope I'm saying it right for the UK. <laughs> and she is researching bouncing cosmologies um, there. And um, she did her, um, her undergrad studies at the Aberystwyth University. Um, uh, where um, she then later um, moved on to um, to uh, the the University of Portsmouth, where she is right now, and the physics, astrophysics, and cosmology, um, and um, she um, did her master's project there also pro uh, focused on inflationary cosmology um, which was already uh, really interesting and um, so please read it um, check her out on her uh, LinkedIn website there you can uh, there you can read all about it and summaries about it and uh, yeah um, now we will um, soon talk about the current research that was just published and um, Molly, how did you basically discover in your life that you want to become a researcher? Uh, was it something that you always wanted to do? Was something special that kind of sparked your interest? Um, yeah, we would be really curious to hear about that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that introduction as well. Um, so really my interest in i guess space in general um actually did come from uh my dad so um he's a bit of an amateur astronomer um and when uh when me and my sister were younger he would um take us out and watch meteor showers and yeah i think that's kind of what really started my interest um i think as i got a bit older um and you know kind of start looking at um, science a bit more, anything to do with space was always my favourite. Um, like I remember going to a science centre on a school trip and I came back and I said to my dad, we have to go again. And so we went <laughs> the following summer back to the, the science centre again. Um, and I just remember looking like going in the planetarium and I was like, there's just so much out there. Um, and then, yeah, I think again, as I went through school, um, I took physics kind of to the furthest point um, in my like secondary education and yeah again just space always was my favorite topic anything astrophysics um, was yeah the thing that really sparked my interest so yeah that's really why I decided to do it at university um, and then I think really from there it was a it was a case of um, so actually it kind of a convoluted story but um, just for background I wasn't actually predicted a very or a good enough grade in physics to go straight on to a degree course so that's actually why I was in Aberystwyth for a year because I was expecting to do a foundation year in physics first um, we did a we did a test in like the first week and I had a flatmate who was actually straight onto the the normal um the normal undergraduate degree and I actually had a higher mark than him so I went to my my lecturers and were like please can I move on to the um the first year of the course because I don't think um I'm not sure I'm going to learn a lot from the first year like the, the the test was really for the um the first year undergraduates that were straight on the on the usual course not the foundation year just to recap um and yeah I think I really kind of knew then it was it was cosmology so it was kind of looking at the universe as a whole that really was the thing that made me the most curious um so then that's when i moved to to portsmouth and i yeah i really think that you know my hearing my lecturers speak um and kind of hearing what they did um it was always um 
it was always cosmology. It was always kind of these big kind of universe questions um, that really made me, um, yeah, re really made me excited about research in general. And then I think, yeah, by the time I was going into my last couple of years of university um, for my undergraduate, I was like, I need to apply for a, uh, for a PhD and see if I can carry on researching, which thankfully they, uh, they, they wanted me to do. Thankfully, they, they wanted me to stay as well. And I wanted to stay. So yeah, that worked out well. <laughs> well, that is wonderful to hear um, that you had, you know, this very early on exposure uh, to science and, and that you got along the way, um, people that supported your um, decision and your passion and interest. Um, it's really wonderful. Um, it's a really, um, yeah, happy story. I would say that worked out really wonderfully. Um, so I, I'm really glad to hear that. And, and I think that emphasizes that, you know, we should give children the most exposure we can to different, you know, subjects, not, you know, in, in all kinds of you know, museums and, and like actual hands-on experiences maybe so that kids can figure out what their passion will be in life. So yeah, you're a perfect example for that. And um, if you could take us from there, like how you then chose your path, like how did you get to work on this project and also how did you kind of decide to work in the, the group that you're in? Is there maybe, you know, a, a story around that, like how this project that we will discuss today came about and how you kind of chose or got to, to be involved in it? Thank you. Yeah, so um, I guess really it started with my master's project. So, um, yeah, my, um, I mean, I guess with the with the group there in general, I knew a lot of people in the group just because they were my lecturers. And I did a project for my master's on inflation, which um, I will actually touch briefly on in my in my talk. But um, essentially, this is something that happens on in the very early universe. And I think from from there, I really knew that I wanted to stick with um, early universe cosmology. So I was kind of, yeah, fascinated by kind of the the first, <laughs> literally the first second um, or less of um, of our of our universe. So um, then, really, when it came to looking at projects, so I mean, I um, I looked at. Um, uh, at a few different universities um, but the project I'm working on uh, now with my supervisor Marco um, he had a project advertising uh, this bouncing cosmology and that's even earlier than inflation um, so yeah I, yeah I think it really it really sparked from um, kind of going into more detail in the early universe in my in my masters and then yeah I kind of knew that I would I would most like a project kind of in that in that area. Yeah, that's really interesting. And um, it, it's also really interesting that, you know, the time span something happens isn't really um, a reflection of how important and how much can be going on um, and how much to study and, you know, in like less than than a minute so <laughs> that is that is always so fascinating to me that and you know there are billions of years nothing like not nothing but not too much um extraordinary happens and then in less than a minute everything happens <laughs> i think that's fascinating so yeah thank you for taking the time to share this with us and we're really looking forward to the presentation and the link to the slides are pinned on top of the room as usual. Feel free to access them. And Molly, the stage is yours. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
So yeah, I'll kind of talk through my slides, but if anyone um, doesn't have or isn't in a good situation to look at them, I will um, I'll try and explain it so you don't um, necessarily need the slides, but hopefully it gives some kind of nice visual repre uh, representations of things. Um, so yeah, so the, um, the, the results that I'll talk through here that I've been working on were published um, in a paper, um, which should be in print very soon, I hope. Um, and yeah, so to start with today, I'll kind of give an overview of our kind of current understanding of the history of our universe, um, kind of to give an idea of the bigger picture of my research. Um, and then I'll kind of go into the work that I've been doing with uh, my supervisor, Marco Bruni, um, which kind of go then goes into the results of the, of the paper. Um, so yeah, so the, the standard model of cosmology is really kind of the, the widely accepted version of the history of our universe. Um, and really the first thing that this standard model of cosmology needs to do is to explain why our universe is the way it is today. So, and that begs the question, uh, what is our universe made up of today? Um, so if you go to slide two, you can see a pie chart here, um, which shows us what observations have told us about what our universe is made up of, essentially. So the first thing that's in our universe, which doesn't actually have a wedge here, just because um, it makes up like a fraction of a percent of our universe today, is uh, what we call radiation. Um, so radiation is really the term given to particles that travel close to or at the speed of light. So this includes things like uh, the light from stars um, and also uh, light from the very early universe. And we call these light particles photons. Um, we also then have ordinary matter, um, which is shown on the chart, which are things like you and me, um, our stars, galaxies, planets, um, and this makes up around 5% of our universe. Um, but actually only about a sixth of the total matter content of our universe. Most of the matter in our universe is what we call dark matter. And we call it dark matter because it doesn't interact with light and so we can't see it, um, unlike ordinary matter that we can see. Now, we're pretty sure dark matter exists due to some things that we've observed. So I thought maybe I'd give you one of these observations just to give you an idea of kind of where we're looking to, to say that we think we have dark matter. Um, so one of these observations are known as galaxy rotation curves. So this is where people have looked at how stars in a galaxy orbit the center of the galaxy. So in general, stars in the inner parts of a galaxy are expected to rotate around the center faster than any stars in the outer parts. Um, and this is because um, observations show that there's more ordinary matter, so matter that we can see in the inner parts of a galaxy than the outer parts. And kind of more mass means there's a higher gravitational force in these inner parts, um, which we would think would then lead to these rotational speeds of the stars being higher. However, it's been observed that stars in the outer parts of galaxies actually rotate at speeds faster than we expected. Um, so it shows us that there must be more mass there than we can see. Otherwise, if these stars were rotating at these speeds that we observe, we would expect the galaxy to tear itself apart. Um, so therefore we think there's dark matter around the edges of the galaxy that we can't see. So that's kind of about 30% of our universe. Um, the last roughly 70% is what we call dark energy. So in a similar fashion to the dark matter, it's called dark energy because we can't see it. Um, but like the dark matter, we see its effects in the universe. And the effect really of dark energy is that it causes the expansion of our universe to accelerate. Um, so this was kind of maybe a, a surprising observation as we thought that the uh, gravitational force, the gravity from the matter in our universe um, would kind of stop it from accelerating. Um, but in fact, we observe an accelerated expansion. So that's kind of a whirlwind tour of what's in our universe today. Um, the next question then we need to address is really the geometry of our universe. So there are three, uh, three possibilities for this, uh, which can uh, be seen on slide three now. 
So the top image is what we call a closed universe. And if our universe is closed, it's a sphere. Uh, the middle image here is an open universe um, where if we have an open universe, it looks like a saddle, so a bit like a horse's saddle. Um, and then the bottom image is a flat universe. And in this case, the universe looks like a, a sheet of paper. Um, so again, we've got observations that kind of tell us what we think the universe is close to looking like. And actually, observations show us that it's our universe is very, very close to being flat. Um, it's been argued that uh, the data slightly favours a closed spherical universe. Um, but in reality, all three of these cases are still possible. So then we can really put this all together into our standard model of cosmology. So I show this on slide four. This is like a schematic um, figure um, of the evolution. So if we start on the very left, uh, where that kind of glowy part of the image is, um, we think our universe started with a singularity, which is also known as uh, the Big Bang. So this is a point in space and time where the density and the temperatures are infinite. We then see this rapid accelerated expansion, which is labelled inflation. Um, so this is where the universe very quickly becomes much, much bigger. Um, and this really is a mechanism that does a few things. So firstly, it's a mechanism that makes the universe become close to being flat, like we observe. Um, so this was really implemented so that we could kind of explain current observations. Secondly, it creates radiation and matter. So at the end of inflation, um, we have um, we end up with um, a lot of photons, so a lot of these light particles, and then um, some uh, matter particles as well. So just after inflation, um, initially we have a, uh, a universe dominated by radiation. So a period dominated by these photons. Um, and this is a decelerated period in our universe. So at this point, um, the photons and then the, the matter particles are all interacting with each other. But the universe kind of expands and it cools and um, actually atoms are able to form and the photons are able to spread out around our expanding universe. Um, and this is what's labelled on this image as the um, afterglow light pattern. So the radiation energy density decreases as the universe expands and these, the, the photons or these light particles spread out over larger volumes. Um, as this decreases, we then have a matter-dominated period, which is also a decelerated expansion period. Um, where we have uh, dark matter start to clump together and then ordinary matter start to clump to this. Um, and this is what's labelled as the dark ages in the image. Um, so eventually what we get is uh, star formation and then galaxy formation and then clusters of galaxies form after this point. So this is really the period from the first stars through to the development of the galaxies and planets, etc. Um, and actually I should say, so the the... At the top, I've labelled this uh, this slide lambda CDM plus inflation, which is what our standard model of cosmology is. The uh, CDM in the lambda CDM stands for cold dark matter. Um, and this really just means that the dark matter um, is cold, which means that it moves slower than the or much slower than the speed of light. Um, so we think it's cold because um, otherwise it wouldn't cluster on large scales because it would be moving um, close to the speed of light. Um, but because we think we see dark matter um, in galaxies and galaxy clusters, we, we think it has to be cold for it to actually be able to clump together in the early universe. So then after these formation of, um, of galaxies and the galaxy clusters, um, the matter energy density uh, increases with the expansion of the universe. And then finally today, we're in a period of dark energy domination. So this is what causes our expansion to accelerate. Um, and this is where the, the lambda in lambda CDM comes in. So unlike the energy densities of matter and radiation, which decreases with the expanding universe, so as the volume of the universe increases, there's basically less radiation and matter per unit volume, the dark energy density is always constant and it's unaffected by the expansion. So um, in this model, essentially the dark energy starts off as the least dominant 
component below matter and radiation. But as matter and radiation decrease, um, then essentially the dark energy eventually becomes um, dominant today. Um, so to summarize here, really, we have a um, we have a model here, the standard model of cosmology, where radiation and matter are formed after the Big Bang, so at the end of inflation. Um, we then have a decelerated period of radiation domination and then matter domination, um, where we have large-scale structure, so our galaxies and our clusters of galaxies form. And then finally today, we have accelerated expansion um, caused by dark energy. Um, and I should say as well, with dark energy and dark matter, we don't still don't really know what these are. Um, but again, like I say, we, we see the effects of these in our universe. So that's our standard model of cosmology. And um, as I said, it's the kind of widely accepted version of the history of our universe. And it does agree well with um, observational data. But there are actually several problems with this model, um, which require addressing. But the, the problem that I'm really interested in is uh, the singularity problem. So this is the problem with the Big Bang being the origin of our universe. Um, so as I said before, at the singularity, the densities um, and temperatures become infinite. And here actually it points to the laws of physics that we know well break down. Um, so in particular, in our standard model of cosmology, um, we use Einstein's theory of gravity or um, general relativity um, to describe gravity. So the fact that we have singularities in this model actually point to this theory of gravity breaking down, um, which is actually why uh, we want to avoid having a singularity because um, singularities in general will point to a theory um, breaking down and not being viable wherever the singularity appears. So what I try to do is to avoid an initial singularity and I actually try and make sure that the entire evolution of the universe can be described with um, Einstein's theory of general relativity. Um, so to do this, I look at uh, bouncing cosmologies. So um, there's a figure of a bouncing cosmology on slide five. Um, so here, instead of um, everything starting from this point in space and time, we actually start with a large universe. Um, this large universe contracts and it gets smaller. We then have a bounce when the universe is at some minimum volume that's bigger than zero. And then we have a transition into an expanding universe. Um, and that's um, basically what, um, what a bounce is. Now, if we consider the standard model of cosmology that I showed you, um, we can't actually get a realistic bouncing model um, to fit into that model as it is. So what we need to do is we need to look at modifying the standard model of cosmology. Um, so I've written some notes on slide um, six, but I'll kind of talk through this. So instead of having a dark energy with a constant energy density, like we have in the standard model of cosmology, um, instead we consider a dark energy that evolves and changes with the expansion of the universe. So here, instead of being this cosmological constant, we say it actually evolves between two effective cosmological constants. Um, really the, the key point to understand here is that during the expansion, so just after the bounce, the dark energy density starts off being very, very large um, and is actually dominant um, just after the bounce as it's here that, um, sorry, so here the dark energy is what actually drives the bounce. So it has to be dominant around the bounce. Um, and it has to be dominant at energy scales higher than that of inflation. Um, so it's dominant before we have that um, radiation and um, matter creation after inflation. If you think of the, actually, if we go back to the slide four, it has to be dominant at energy scales to the, to the left of inflation in this picture. Um, now, this is really because we don't want to um, change the evolution of the standard model of cosmology after inflation. So we still want the radiation and the matter to be produced and then have that those dominant periods afterwards where um, large scale structure can form. Um, so, yeah, so initially the stark energy is dominant, um, but then what we need is for it to quickly then decrease so that we have um, we have this radiation and matter domination and actually we have it so it decreases quickly to be approximately a cosmological constant. 
um, a bit like the, the lambda is in the standard model of cosmology. And then we set this to what we observed today. So, yeah, so essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to modify the behavior of the early universe at high energies to get a bounce whilst keeping the usual standard model of cosmology evolution after inflation. This is the idea here. Um, so then moving to slide seven, sorry, I kind of went through slide six, but pointing you to the, uh, the figure of the standard model of cosmology. Um, so to illustrate the behavior of just the dark energy and just to kind of try and, I guess, really show you the, the behavior of this dark energy, I'll, I'll show you a plot. So um, on slide seven, um, I'll kind of show you the setup of the plot. Um, but here I'm actually showing you um, the behavior of the dark energy only. So there's no matter or radiation here. So essentially this plot will show us how the universe um, evolves and expands and contracts if we had a universe only filled with dark energy. Um, so yeah, on slide seven, um, you can see the outline. So on the y-axis or the, the vertical axis, we have what's called the Hubble parameter, which is um, denoted by H here. Um, and this really describes whether the universe is expanding or contracting. So if it's positive, we have an expanding universe. And if it's negative, we have a contracting universe. Then on the x-axis, we have the dark energy density. So um, here, the vertical line that's on the on the right shows the what we call the high energy um, effective cosmological constant of the dark energy. Um, but this is basically where the dark energy density is very large and is a maximum. Um, and then on the left, we have what we call the um, low energy effective cosmological constant. Um, but this is the, the value that the dark energy becomes close to when it decreases to look like a cosmological constant. Um, so really, it's the, the, the minimum of the dark energy. Um, and the, the numbers along the, the x-axis really show you how large this dark energy density is. So when it's at one, it's the highest. And when it's kind of close to zero, it's at its minimum. And then what we can do is we can plot the trajectories. Um, so then I show you this on slide eight, um, but I'll talk you through kind of each part of the plot here. So in this plot, we consider all three of the geometry types that I showed you earlier. Um, so open, flat and closed models. Now, the thick green lines on this plot show flat models. So that was where the universe looked like the, um, the sheet of paper. Then outside the green lines, the, the pink and the brown um, curves show open models. And that was where the universe looked like the, the saddle. So now here um, for the open and the flat models, um, we see that the universe either always expands or it always contracts. So the, if you look at the pink and brown and the green lines in the top half of the plot, um, they start in the kind of in the top right corner or somewhere in the top right part of that plot. Now, this is where the universe is the smallest. It has the smallest volume and the dark energy density is the largest. Um, and then we see that the arrows point to the left. So here it shows that the universe expands and the dark energy density decreases. Um, now, the pink, brown and green lines in the bottom um, contracting half of the plot um, basically do the opposite. So the universe starts um, at its largest volume and the dark energy density is small. And the trajectories here start somewhere in the um, bottom left hand corner of this, pot, of this plot. The arrows then point to the right and we see that the dark energy density increases to its maximum as the universe contracts and gets smaller. Um, so this really shows us that if the universe is flat or open and contains only this dark energy, um, then we don't get a bounce. Now, inside the two green lines, though, we have the closed models where um, that was where the universe um, is a sphere. Um, and this shows a different story. So first of all, I'll concentrate on the, uh, the pink and the purple lines. And also there's a, a very small blue line right to the left of the plot in the middle. Now here, these trajectories start in the bottom half of the plot during a contracting phase, where the dark energy density is at its minimum and the volume of the universe is at its maximum. Now the universe contracts and it gets smaller and the dark energy density increases as the arrows point to the right. 
Um, then what you see is actually the, the curves change direction. So now when the arrow has reached the furthest to the right, it will go um, where the dark energy density is at its maximum. Um, when H is zero, we have a bounce. So at H is zero, so on the um, on the y-axis, there's a there's a zero. Um, essentially, when the trajectory passes this point, um, we have a point where contraction stops, and um, the the universe is then neither expanding or contracting. So we kind of have this point in the middle, and that's really what the bounce is. And this then occurs when the volume of the universe is at its minimum. Then the arrow starts to point to the left and then the universe starts to expand again. Um, and then as the universe expands, the dark energy density decreases and then it tends towards its minimum. Um, so these models that I've just described, these are all models that just bounce once. We also see though that there's a blue oval kind of in the near the center of the plot. So if we start with the bottom half of this oval, we see that the arrow points to the right. Um, so we have the dark energy density increasing as the universe contracts. And then as before, when we have um, H, that Hubble parameter um, equals zero, we have no expansion and no contraction and the universe bounces at its minimum volume. Then the arrow points to the left, the universe expands and the dark energy density uh, decreases again um, and reaches a minimum when this, um, when this line is at the furthest point to the left. Um, and this is where the universe is at its maximum volume. There's then this point where, again, the expansion actually uh, stops and we pass H equals zero again and the line changes direction and the universe recollapses. So this is really a point where the, the expansion um, stops and we call it a turnaround and then it starts to collapse um, again. Um, and they're actually then repeated cycles. So then the universe actually contracts again, it bounces, it expands again, and then recollapses, and so on and so forth. Um, and we call these cyclic models. So you have lots of bounces um, essentially, rather than just one like the other, um, like the other curves. So really, the the takeaway message here is that when the universe is closed and spherical, containing only the stark energy all of the possible models that are closed have a bounce. Um, so this arc energy always produces a bounce when the universe is closed. Now, this is good, but we know that dark energy isn't the only part of the story. So um, as I mentioned before, dark energy isn't the only component in our universe. Um, so now looking at slide nine, um, this is really where my research comes into play. So my research focuses on then including uh, matter and radiation to this setup with the dark energy. And there are kind of three questions that we want to ask. The first question is to see if we still always get closed bouncing models when the universe is closed, if we include uh, dark matter and radiation produced after the bounce. So a bit like in the standard model of cosmology, uh, where radiation and matter are produced um, at the end of inflation. And the question really is here, is the bounce spoiled when we include matter and radiation or can we still always get closed bouncing models? The second question is whether, uh, is whether we have a uh, decelerated period where matter and radiation could become dominant so we still have our usual evolution where we get our stars and our galaxies and our galaxy clusters form. Um, like we do in the standard model of cosmology. Um, and then do we also get a late time accelerated expansion like we observed today? Um, so then finally, I mentioned earlier that this dark energy uh, needed to be dominant at energies higher than that of inflation before uh, the radiation and matter are created and then decrease quickly to be close to what we observed today um, so that we still get the standard model of cosmology evolution um, from kind of the radiation domination period onward. So the third question then is really whether or not uh, we can say yes to question one and two when the dark energy is initially dominant before radiation and matter are created um, and then subdominant um, until kind of recent times where it will become dominant again. So we get this accelerated expansion. Um, so once again, really to investigate this, we need to make a plot to understand how the universe evolves when we have this uh, dark energy, the matter and the radiation. So on slide 10, um, I show the outline of this plot again. Um, and this is similar to before, just with a couple of changes. 
So again, on the y-axis or the vertical axis, we have the Hubble parameter, which describes whether the universe is expanding or contracting. Um, so when it's positive, we have that the universe is expanding and when it's negative, uh, the universe is contracting. Then on the x-axis or the horizontal axis, we have the dark energy density. So again, the vertical line that's on the right is where the dark energy uh, density is a maximum. Um, and now we also include the energy densities of dark matter and radiation, which are also a maximum um, on this uh, line on the right hand side. Then we have the vertical line on the left hand side. Um, and again, this is where the dark energy is a minimum. Um, and here, dark matter and radiation are also a minimum. And actually, they're, they're zero on this line. So then now looking at slide, uh, slide 11, um, we can again plot the trajectories as we did before. Um, so um, as it was last time, the, the green lines in this plot show the flat models where the universe looks like the, the sheet of paper. And then the brown and pink trajectories um, outside of the green lines are the open models where the universe looks like the saddle. Um, now, similarly to before, the open and the flat models either always expand and the energy densities of the dark energy, dark matter and radiation all decrease, um, which is seen by the lines in the top half of the plot that all um, the arrows all point to the, the left. Um, or we have open and flat models um, always contracting and the energy densities of the dark energy, the dark matter and radiation all increase, which is shown in the bottom half of the plot where those pink and brown trajectories point to the right. Um, but our focus is really on those closed models um, inside the green curves. So as before, we have uh, cyclic models, which is shown by that pink oval kind of near the center, um, where the universe contracts and the energy densities of the dark energy, the dark matter and radiation will increase. The universe bounces at a minimum volume um, and then it expands and the energy densities will decrease. And then the universe reaches the maximum volume before recollapsing again and so on and so forth. Um, all of the other closed trajectories start in, um, in a contracting universe. Um, they bounce once and then re-expand. So they start in the bottom half of the plot, the arrows point to the right and the energy densities will increase. They bounce and then they re-expand and the energy densities will decrease as the arrows point to the left. So to answer our question one, if we include radiation and dark matter produced after the bounce, then yes, all closed models bounce, um, which is good. That's what we were hoping for. So the next question was to see if we had models that have a decelerated period where uh, large scale structure, so our galaxies and galaxy clusters can form like in the standard model of cosmology. Um, so on slide 12, you'll see the same plot, but I've added two vertical red lines. So these show where the acceleration is zero. So between these two red lines, the universe um, is decelerating and outside of these two lines, the universe is accelerating. So here the models that we're really interested in are the, the purple and the orange curves um, in the plot. Um, so the ones that are kind of the, the biggest, longest lines between those two green, um, those two green lines. Um, so these are models that bounce once and we see that after the bounce in the top half of the plot during the expansion, where the arrows point to the left, these models are initially accelerating. They then cross the first red line and they decelerate. Um, and here, this is where we could have our large scale structure, our galaxy clusters form. And then the curves continue to the left and cross the next red line. And then the universe accelerates again, like we see today. So then to answer our question two, uh, yes, we can have a decelerated period where we could have our structure formation in these models um, and they can also um, they can also produce the late time accelerated expansion like we like we see today. So then the final question was about dark energy being dominant at early times at high enough energy scales and then decreasing so that radiation and matter could be created and can be dominant um, and at late times so after it's initially dominant, it would look like a cosmological constant from, from that point onward. So this is really a question of whether the, uh, the maximum and the minimum of the dark energy differ by enough. So on slide 13, um, I show a plot where the maximum and the minimum of the dark energy differ by um, this much. So on the right hand side, the vertical line, the dark energy is at an energy scale higher than that of inflation. 
and then the vertical line on the left, the dark energy at its minimum is close to what we observed today. Now we find that all closed models bounce, which is good, but they always accelerate. So we don't have a decelerated era where we can have structure formation. So then in response to question three, uh, no, we can't have uh, realistic bouncing models where the dark energy is initially dominant before radiation um, dominated period, which then decreases to close to what we observed today. Um, so essentially what this means is that we find that we can only have a bounce with a decelerated period when the bounce occurs at energy scales far below that of the radiation and matter dominated periods, um, which would mean that we would have a bouncing universe where we don't have high enough energy scales for radiation and matter to be created as they are in the standard model of cosmology. So we find that these models aren't actually feasible. Um, in general, though, we do think this is kind of a good framework to work off of. So even though the specifics here don't necessarily work realistically, um, because we can find that the, the behaviour of the dark energy with the dark matter and radiation in general can always have a, um, or always produce a bounce for closed models and have that decelerated period. Um, we think maybe we could kind of try and tweak this model um, to see if it would work um, with kind of more, a more realistic dark energy evolution. Um, so I think with that, I'll leave you with my conclusions on slide 14. Um, and this really just shows a summary of the answers to the questions um, that I asked in the beginning. Um, but yeah, no, thank you for listening and um, I will take any questions. Thank you so much, Molly, for this really amazing presentation that you guided us through your work and um, also explained really well the, the principles and um, the basically the background of your work um, and it was really really interesting to um, learn about it so yeah please uh, flash your microphones if you have questions post questions in the chat and um, we'll go from there so um, yeah um, Rafa if you have a question uh, please go ahead uh, we'll start with the more general public ones and then we'll later on I'll go maybe a little bit deeper. Thank you. Thank you, Katerina. Uh, my question is, uh, I'm coming from like, I have zero knowledge about this. Uh, uh, I think you might have heard about something that is discussed called meta humans in sci-fi shows. Uh, and they discuss uh, a lot based on like what you have been discussing like dark matter dark energy my question is uh to me it seems based on what i understood and i understood very little because i don't have the background requisite knowledge about this but thank you for your information you presented is are meta humans possible in the future 500 years thousand years thank you So I'll be very honest, I don't, um, I've not heard of this. Um, do you, do you know what, um, like what's, was it for you said from a, a sci-fi show? Yeah. So what happens is like, uh, the, the, these are humans that interacted with dark matter and got <sighs> supernatural powers. So somebody could run really fast, like there's a character <laughs> called Flash. But the concepts that they base it on are exactly similar to what you were discussing. So that's why I had this question in mind. Okay, I see. Um, as much as I would love that to be true, um, I don't think that's, uh, that's realistic. Um, I mean, essentially when we're, we're looking at dark matter, um, we're, we're kind of looking at it with um, either um, kind of experiments that we send up into space um, or kind of ground ground based observations. So it's not something that we're uh, we're physically touching. Um, uh, it's something that we we try and look at the the effects of. Um, and we're actually we're not really sure what dark matter or dark energy exactly is. Um, we have a lot of unanswered questions. Um, 
I would love that to be true. Unfortunately, I don't think it is. But, um, uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Molly. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. I got a question real quick, if that's cool, Katerina. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So um, I don't really know too much or anything about, like, cosmology, but I, like, watch a lot of YouTube. So what I was kind of curious on is if, like, your model uh, could include maybe, like, some type of repulsive nature between, like, the radiation we know of and like dark energy itself whereas like maybe like as matter like emits like radiation in general that it there's a repulsive for like relationship that kind of keeps pushing like dark energy out expanding the universe versus just an expansive like nature to dark energy i, I was kind of curious about that um, okay, so I think I understand the question, but let me know if I answer something that wasn't what you were asking. Um, so in this case, kind of in general, assume that the each component, so the radiation, the dark matter and the dark energy kind of all evolve independently, roughly speaking. Um, but you can actually look at models where um, all of the components actually depend on each other, um, which means that they kind of have um, what we call an interaction between them. Um, so it means that the evolution of one fluid um, depends on the evolution of the other and influences, they influence each other. Um, I hope that kind of answers the question. Yeah, it makes sense. So like you, it, you don't make your models where these two have a relation like you kind of keep it was kind of like independent from each other yeah in in essence um yeah they don't have any kind of um like direct interaction with each other they're all um they're all independent from each other kind of in in essence interesting thank you Yeah, um, uh, Akil, did you have a question before I go into questions? Well, I, I'm currently like in another meeting. I'll be free in about 20 minutes or so. If if you guys are still around, I'll ask my question. But right now I'm a bit busy, I'm sorry. Oh yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, that's why we record this session. So um, I know that um, if you're in the US, it's kind of in the middle of the day in the morning. so. A lot of people are also working, but thank you for being here uh, for sure. And um, so, um, you know, um, we've been discussing like a more broader, um, um, basically, um, you know, topics related to this. So I will uh, maybe go into a few questions that I received ahead of time and had also uh, myself. Um, so if you could go, let's start broad, um, into the significance of this bouncing and cyclic cosmologies and, um, you know, what, what this means basically in, um, for, yeah, what, what this means for the general understanding of our, um, of our universe and and um, so will this be going on endlessly like will this be an endless loop you think or based on your you know description of your models um, did we have previously a lot of bouncing going on or is this is your prediction a more you know that this is just a, a few times maybe or maybe just one time if you if you could go over that one again thank you yeah sure so um i mean there are there are lots of um bouncing and cyclic models um in the literature and um really whether it happens once or it happens multiple times really depends on what model you're working in um, so for, for my research, actually the, the cyclic models aren't really 
we kind of always knew weren't feasible from from the get-go and this is um for two reasons one is because they don't um they basically they initially accelerate and then decelerate but they don't accelerate again so we can't actually in in the context of my research you can't actually um um you can't actually get the uh the the accelerated expansion that we observed today um it was really the 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 models that just bounce once so you literally only ever have one bounce you start with a, a large universe it contracts it bounces and then it re-expands and then that's um that's it um obviously these don't really work realistically but those are really the models that um that we uh we were kind of most interested in um for kind of most of uh this project um maybe i should say though in, in the wider context though um yeah like i said you can have models that just bounce once um there are cyclic models that um you'll have several bounces so you have several cycles of like an expansion then a contraction a bounce and an expansion and so on um, so, for example, you can get a case where actually the volume of the universe increases with each cycle um, and eventually then um, it stops collapsing. Um, it basically gets to a volume that's big enough and we have the, the accelerated expansion that we that we see today and um, you never re-collapse. So um, this is I mean, this is really actually it's, it's an open question in the field is if we do have about how how many times do we have a bounce? Um, but no, it's, it's a really interesting, um, a really interesting point. Yeah. So, the, so there's a big difference, right? If you if you assume that this is a closed model, then the likelihood increases for uh, a singular bounce, as as far as I understand, right? Um, it's yes, a different, right? If you, yeah, if you assume it's a closed model, then then a, a singular bounce is is more likely, right? Yes, yes. So, um, yes. So you can kind of see. So if okay, if we look at the, I'm looking at slide um, eleven. You see that actually the 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 chance of the of the the universe being cyclic is actually very small in this case anyway um it's it's also i think i i just said that there were two reasons and i think i only gave you one but um as to why we don't have a uh or we didn't think the cyclic models were good it's also because the um you'll see that the the lines so like the the orange line for example in this plot becomes very very close to this green line and that's really what we want because we know that the universe looks close to being flat at the very least um, which doesn't really happen with the cyclic model. But um, I mean, we also, um, yeah, if if um, we were considering kind of regardless of where the trajectories were in the in the in the plot, if we were considering all of these models, then it would be least likely to have a, a cyclic model. You would kind of need quite um, particular um, initial conditions. Um, so yeah if, if if we were considering um all of these closed models you would um the, the cyclic models only make up a small part of 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 the plot so they would be less likely but there's kind of other reasons why we um we don't really favor them in this scenario anyway yeah um that's interesting to related to that i had a few questions but um so, so is the relationship or the ratio basically of dark matter and um, and um, its radiation does so this does fit in the model basically for the bouncing or isn't uh, isn't that relevant at all like the the dark matter content basically of our universe so um essentially the the thing that you have to be really careful of in these models is um dark matter and radiation being dominant at early times at high energies around the bounce um essentially because 
in um if if they're dominant you actually don't get a bounce so in the context of bouncing cosmologies um really the okay so it's kind of two important things number one the observations today and your theory kind of need to match but if you want a bounce you also need to make sure that the dark energy is dominant at energy scales higher than the dark uh, the, the the matter and the radiation were created um otherwise um you get a bounce at scales so either you get a bounce at scales um lower than the the dark matter and the the radiation were created so then you you wouldn't have them in your model or you would have a case where um you don't get a bounce at all so you would you would have a, a singularity in your model and again your 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 model the, the the physics in your model basically breaks down um so really the 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 goal here the the plot i showed you with just the dark energy that was kind of the the starting point of what we were looking at so we knew that this dark energy in itself can always produce a bounce when the universe is closed um really what we wanted to find out was whether including dark matter and radiation um spoiled the bounce so it's kind of there in terms of the bounce that their energy scale where they're created is really what's um what's important here because we need to make sure that they're not dominant otherwise the um otherwise we we, we don't get a bounce yes um yeah thank you for re-explaining those um um and my question also was about entropy as far as understood um at some point kind of our universe runs out of um out of it so basically um at some point there's no way to go anymore um does this um bouncing back kind of reset um entropy states or or isn't is that why also is that another factor why you can only basically that the only one time bouncing is the the more um probable a scenario so i didn't really explicitly look at entropy here um but actually there's a the the cyclic scenario that i was um, telling you about where the volume of the universe increases i think okay if i remember correctly i think that was a um, scenario where they looked at entropy as well and essentially you get to a point where um i think maybe the there's there's kind of a, a point where you can't recollapse because of that but i'll be honest with you i don't remember all of the details um but in, in the context of this research that's not really a um uh, a factor but saying that um when you look at an analysis like the one that we've done it's very much looking at the general behavior um if we found models here which um were kind of worked theoretically in this framework we would then be looking more at um observations and kind of more more details like that um so here we don't really say anything about that but that's not really why the cyclic models are disfavored but you, yeah i i'm I'm really trying to remember it was a while ago um there is research into um entropy and like bouncing or, or cyclic models and how many cycles you can you can get yeah interesting yeah thank you we'll, we'll we'll make sure to look it up and um and if people have this question we'll we can share it then um later on and um does does this this model basically um and your findings do they change the understanding of any you know uh, basic physics um so for example the quantum field theory it, is there an impact on that that we have to kind of uh, think over some you know physics laws or um does you know is this 
I think you 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 already um kind of discussed it, but just to point it out for the audience again, if like um you know understanding of current um physics laws are impacted by your findings. Um, so yeah, you bring up a really interesting point about um, quantum field theory, which we, we discussed quite a lot in the paper, but I actually didn't um, discuss too much here. Um, so maybe just to start with a bit of a background of um, what we're talking about here is, um, in so in this standard model of cosmology, so where we have that dark energy being a constant energy density all throughout the, the universe, um, we, we can actually observe um, its value today. So we observe what I called lambda, um, which is the, the, this dark energy density. Um, now, we have a theory, which is called quantum field theory, which basically predicts a contribution to what we should observe today. Now, what we observe is very small, and what, we, um, what quantum field theory is telling us um, should be contributed to this observation is very, very large. And um, we, we call this the cosmological constant problem. Um, so it's really this discrepancy between theory telling us one thing and observations telling us something else. And we don't really know how to resolve this problem. We don't know how to kind of counteract this really big contribution from this theory. Um, now, in the setup that I have um, here, essentially, it kind of it wasn't really what we were we were intending to look at necessarily, but it kind of became a natural outcome of the setup. So, because this dark energy density starts really large and then it decreases and becomes close to what we observe today, so it becomes much smaller. Um, and because of the kind of energy scales that we're talking about, we kind of have a way of explaining this problem if our model worked. Um, so really, it was we were kind of hopeful and then it didn't work anyway. But um, if we're talking about the kind of maximum energy of this dark energy being kind of energies higher than that of inflation, so really high energies in the early universe, this kind of would explain why we get this really big contribution from quantum field theory and then it would decrease to what we observe today so it would kind of link the two values that we get um, but because the um, the that's kind of the the specific point that actually doesn't work because we can't this we don't have the right evolution when our dark energy evolves over those kind of scales um, that hasn't really changed our um our understanding but it's, it's kind of a really uh it's, it's a nice kind of perspective like a different angle i guess to take on it rather than trying to explain or trying to counteract this kind of large contribution that's predicted from from this theory yeah that is really interesting and thank you for your answers and what maybe um you know one of the last questions is wh what are you you know working on now and what is the future you want to work on like where is your research taking you basically um right now so thank you yeah so um really carrying on wanting to try and avoid having a, a big bang or a singularity as the origin and having um and having like a, a a bounce whether it's once or whether it's lots of times um really what i'm looking at now is um actually kind of we kind of touched on this um earlier but having kind of each of these like the dark matter and the uh, dark energy actually um interacting with each other so that the, the two of them would depend on each other to evolve throughout the universe and seeing if you know we can get um we can get these these bounces or these cycles um and i mean really like the ultimate goal like if i could not that you can choose and research where you get to because uh, research isn't um 
research isn't as compassionate as that, but um, it would be really cool if we could get a, a model that we could actually um, start constraining with data um, and kind of get some predictions out that would be relevant for future observations um, to see if we can distinguish between whether we had a bounce or whether we had something different. Um, so yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah, that sounds like a really exciting future and I'm really looking forward to follow your uh, work um, in the future. And talking about future, if you have time for one more question, I think um, we have a, a question about time travel. Um, if that would be a possibility like more likely um, in your model um, and um, yeah I don't know if you have anything regarding time travel or parallel universes uh, traveling to those uh, related to your model if you if you could <laughs> indulge us in, in like probably sci-fi type of um, yeah thinking. <laughs> See, I really wish I had something really interesting or really witty to say right now. Um, honestly, that's uh, not something that we we consider um, uh, that we consider in our um, in our model. I'm assuming when you say time travel, like you want to go you want to go back or forward in time, like uh, like uh, like in Doctor Who or something. Um, I'm um, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid uh, <laughs> the. Uh, the physics in 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 the model isn't um, isn't isn't relevant to, isn't relevant to that problem. Well, um, yeah. So, but it's it's you know I didn't want to end with a note like it's really really interesting uh, to learn about you know the the. The principles of our universe if you know if a bouncing is possible and to go deep into those very early first second stages and that we can learn so much about them so yeah thank you for sharing this research with us and as i said we will be really curious learning about your future research and in that regard um and that's really a frontier in our knowledge that we don't i feel have so much in our everyday life so um yeah congratulations of choosing such an exciting um career and uh, we wish you all the best for the future Hey, oh, thank you for um for inviting me this is a it's a really cool i think i said this to you when we spoke the other day this is a really cool um cool way of uh doing like having public talks yeah thank you yeah hopefully you'll join us again um and thank you everyone for sending in questions and for asking questions and participating in the discussion also for future listeners um and um yeah it's um it, i think it's a very it's a very positive way of um of discussion because um, it kind of gives us hope for the future. So uh, thank you, Molly. Thank you, everyone. I hope to hear you all again soon. Um, and um, yeah, uh, I'll close the room now um, in three, two, one. Thank you, everyone. Bye. <laughs>